Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome to another episode of the Goblin Lore Podcast. Today you have Hobbs Q with you. Uh, that's me. My pronouns are he, him. I am one half of the Goblin Lore Podcast, and uh, I'm going to be giving you all a little bit of a, of a solo episode today. Um, Alex has picked up the slack recently. Um, we've just been struggling to kind of be able to record, and I, and I can say that a lot of this has been my schedule and just my own mood and some of these things have really made it kind of difficult for us to be able to have times that work and and overlap and I think that's something that we've consistently had to battle against over the years and you know this has just been one of those times the last month or so I have been sick I had family that was sick Uh, I had no voice at one point when we were supposed to record we've been looking to get our guest scheduled that we have coming up. And, and with that, Alex really picked up the slack the last couple of weeks. And unfortunately, we were supposed to record on Sunday, but I, I was not able to, and Alex was kind of busy for the rest of the week. And I thought that I would kind of use it to, to, to come and talk to you all. Um, so be- before we get started, I just wanted to kind of give a shout out to the Grinding Coffee Company. They are a minority-owned, LGBT-ran uh, and operated coffee company that offers coffee to gamers. Uh, I mean, that's really the, who their target audience is and what their mission statement is, is kind of trying to increase the, the voices uh, that we would love to see increased. They've been very engaged in the charity events that we have worked on and really engaged with kind of helping us however we have needed to be helped. Um, this partnership has just been something that's been so beneficial. And I'm Alex always jokes about it when when I'm not here and he has to give this little spiel about them, he always, always like, yep, uh, he doesn't really drink coffee and I don't really know what to say. Uh, but I, I do. And it is still uh, one of the primary coffees that I drink on a monthly basis. I just, it, their blends are very good and they make good French press. I've used them in cooking. I've used them in coffee. I mean, I mean, in, um, yeah, well, coffee ice cream. So we just always want to give a shout out to them. We also want to say, you know, check out the Fireside Alliance. So these are people that Alex had on. He had some of the other creators. So it's a progressive community of progressive communities is kind of how the, the billing is. But it really is just kind of a group of like-minded people that kind of bounce ideas off of each other. And we're working towards more cross-collaboration. So they are a community of podcasters, and they we are the only Magic the Gathering. They're, they're generally pop culture-related. Um, Alex talked about the game Civilization with the, uh, two of the groups. One is the Two Shrinks podcast, and the other is part of one that does monster movies. And just kind of looking at these, uh, yeah, I would say these kind of social concerns um, within their own realm. It's kind of a natural fit for us. And so I just always want to kind of give a, a shout out to them, especially as we look to be kind of improving things. A couple other things just to kind of talk about since I, we haven't met in a while. And by us, I mean, like, I haven't been here. But since we've last all talked, um, Minneapolis was announced as a site for a Magic Fest for the Magic 30 celebration, which is just exciting to me and to Alex that we're our community, uh, the local Minneapolis community, is going to be welcoming so many people that, we, that we've gotten to know over the last four years of doing this show. And one of the things that we've done in the past is we've done kind of celebrations of Minneapolis and of, of our friends and our creati- the creative community. Um, the Goblin Lore has kind of sponsored slash co-hosted slash helped with uh, cookouts at my house, at Hobbs's house. And uh, we are going to 
already be talking. I, I've already started planning with people for what we can do in May, even beyond just a cookout at my house because of a th- big three-day event celebrating Magic's 30th history is just something that we are so fortunate to have been selected to be a site for um, the city of Minneapolis. The other part of that is Alex and I really, uh, May is is when the event is, May 5th through 7th. It's also Mental Health Month. And the the just the, I don't know, the synchronicity of that is something that for Alex and I, we have already started talking about the fact that, you know, they've, they've allowed for panel submissions. There have been panels. That's kind of this model of the new um, Magic Fest. I mean, maybe it's only for the year 30th anniversary, but if not, it's what we kind of talked about on the show magic events moving towards um being conventions having panels and i know that for philly they they are taking submissions so our hope is that we will be able to put forth a proposal for a goblin lore and friends mental health podcast that really coincides with mental health um, awareness month in may it's just i mean to us it's like the perfect marriage so uh hopefully there'll be more to come on that so this morning i put out a poll well i just put out a tweet Asking people like, hey, what, you, what would you love for me to kind of talk about for 30 minutes? Because I've been struggling a lot lately with just creativity and um, just motivation and, and energy and just kind of where it's at. Um, I think depression's really been kind of reaching up and kicking my ass a little bit more without kind of clear stressors or indicators. Um, I do my normal best that I can to monitor my own personal warning signs, whether it be my sleep or my tendency to kind of become irritable. Uh, These are the things that generally I can notice to to kind of assess what's going on. And I've just been struggling to kind of pull beyond that. Um, And and creativity and kind of my organization of thoughts is one of the first things that, that, well, that starts to be later signs. And those are the signs that kind of, you know, make me worried for things like the show. Like, what are we going to do if, you know, all of a sudden I hit a period where I just feel like, me personally can't put out the product that I want to help put out. Um, so I, I kind of put out this idea to try to get some inspiration. And, and what's amazing about it is I actually had numerous ideas that really did inspire me, but not anything that I could kind of pull together for the, the, the short period I had today to be able to record and talk to you all. Um, a couple of those, and I do think they are <laughs> good episodes. One is like celiac cooking or, or cooking for people with allergens. Um, I was looking for a lore tie-in. So if anybody listening to this can think of one, I mean, outside of like Azemore or, you know, the fact that we do have food tokens and stuff within Magic, uh, my wife was diagnosed two years ago with celiacs. And part of that was she also developed an egg intolerance, which if anybody is out there that really enjoys baking in particular knows that, you know, losing both gluten and eggs makes a lot of baking very difficult. Uh, it makes a lot of cooking very difficult. And so I think this is a great topic. Uh, ways that we've been able to adapt recipes, ways that we've been able to um, think about eating because it can be, oh, gosh, that's just a whole topic right there, just relationship with food, especially um, a, a food that, you know, that, that or an ingredient, an element that is so important to most cooking. So that's a great idea, and I would love to find that. Um the idea kind of about anxiety telling the truth, which Travis, uh, my buddy, Travis underscore LM, the Basil's owner, as he is listed in my phone, um, brought up this joke about the truthiness of anxiety, which stems from uh, him and I hanging out uh, along with uh, that gal, Carolyn, and uh, 
uh, uh, dev, so Doodle's dev, that um, in Richmond, we were all hanging out. It was one of the main reason I went to the event was to see them. And we were going to be going out and, you know, there's a lot of just pressure. We were going to an event with other creators and we were talking about things like depression and anxiety. And, you know, uh, Travis always is very good about kind of trying to remind us all that depression lies. And I think that's a common theme that is a reminder, but we don't believe it. <laughs> I mean, that's just the way that the nature of most of our brains are that struggle with that. And I just being the smart aleck that I am snap back, but anxiety does tell the truth. Um, and <laughs> this is prompted kind of, I want to dive deeper into the fight or flight mechanism. Alex and I have brought this up, especially in our episode with social anxiety, which I highly recommend going back to, uh, because it's about going to conventions or going to magic events and what is involved in that. Uh, but it, we talked about fight or flight there and I want to talk about the expansion of that. That's something that I actually had been thinking of for the last couple of days. Once again, the turnaround time to actually come up with it was something that just was not feasible for today. So unfortunately, that topic has also been shelved. The one that I did want to talk about, uh, so this was uh, Swole Dan. Uh, so Dan, uh, somebody that I have known on Twitter for many, many years. Uh, he, he was the one who kind of came up with this idea or this topic area. Basically, he asked, how did I come into the field? Uh, the field that I'm in. How did I come into psychology? And I think it's a good question. I there's a great. So I will say, checking out the article that was written, I did go a little bit into this when talking with um, Andy Zupke, and this is something that I will tag in the show notes to make sure that I have the article readily available. Which basically just covered kind of well, how did I end up in this field? How did I end up in psychology? Because I will tell you that wasn't my initial plan or initially what I was going to do. And the more I thought about this after reading Dan's question this morning, it made me think of kind of this idea of planeswalkers sparking. Um, we've talked about this on the show a lot, not wanting it to just be, to move beyond this idea that either negative emotionality, and uh, I'll caveat that, trauma in particular, or really intense, uncomfortable, unhealthy emotions. Um, I don't like to use the word negative when it comes to emotions, as people heard on this show before, I tend to stray more towards healthy, unhealthy, helpful, unhelpful to describe kind of the outcomes of them rather than kind of assigning a, a weight of positive and, and negative to emotions because emotions are just natural and emotions just are. It's our responses to them. Either way, for the context of kind of Magic the Gathering, historically, most sparks that we have seen have been in response to either traumatic um, events or just it just fear of life or being scared or something really bad happening to a person um, or their loved ones. And we've talked about wanting to explore this realm of sparking in response to joy or love or just commitment, whatever it is, uh, th these emotions that we maybe attach more of a kind of healthy association with. And, <laughs> I always laugh because that's what I say I want to see more of. Um, however, if I'm looking at my quote-unquote own origin story, I'm not sure that's exactly what we are going to see. I will also say that this is kind of a topic that is difficult for me to talk about um, 
in, uh, this is an episode I have thought about doing many, many times over and over again. But kind of just the, the quote-unquote origin story. Um, and that's in part because, you know, psychology was not my initial passion. Psychology was not an area that I was particularly drawn to until later in life. I mean, I guess I would say, you know, in my late teens, early 20s, I guess later in life being that being my halfway to where I am now, uh, I went into college with a plan to study chemistry. And uh, that was what I was going to do. Uh, I really enjoyed kind of science. I still do really enjoy science. I enjoy data. I enjoy kind of understanding the world around us. And to me, you know, I, I, without a lot of guidance, that kind of was, I just figured those were what my options were. And then, then I got to undergrad and, and in my second year took organic chemistry. And I think anybody that has had to take that for whatever reason, you, you actually are, you know, enjoy it. Uh, great. And or you were going to med school or you were looking at another degree like biology or something that might require it. Well, this was the class that I just felt that I had to kind of get through to kind of do the chemistry that I loved. And yet um, it was not a good fit. I just it, my brain really had difficulty thinking in the way that it needed to to be able to understand organic chemistry. And I didn't seek out help um, to, to really remedy this in part because of pride. Uh, I had always been somebody that things came to very naturally and it was somebody that, you know, that chip on their shoulder, almost this prideful belief system about things come easy and natural to me. And that's, that was my value or that was my worth. I, I, I didn't have a lot of good self-esteem outside of kind of this idea of quote unquote intelligence and that I didn't have to work hard for things to come easy to me. And chemistry was not that at all. And also, as I was getting into it, it really wasn't anything that I kind of had a drive or an internal motivation to push me to say, okay, you know what, this is tough, but I want to do it. And I had to make a, sh a shift. I mean, I, I did not go into college well prepared. I mean, I think this is a story you probably hear from lots of people, especially people, I would say, of my age group, you know, that that late Gen X, that early millennial crowd that college really was just kind of the, it started to become the next thing that you did. Uh, it was an extension of high school and it did feel a lot of ways like that, but I didn't have a knowledge base to really go into it. Um, both of my parents had not attended college. My dad worked, dropped out of high school to work in the oil fields. My mom works in printing. Now she had gone on to kind of school for potentially dental hygienist when she was straight out of, uh, high school, but you know, she, she had me, uh, my parents were 19 and 21 when I was born and there, there wasn't kind of that opportunity. And there just wasn't the knowledge base that we had for, for what college was like or what to expect. And I kind of went in blind and once again, not asking for help. And I think that's kind of a, a similar theme to a lot of what young me would have been was somebody who didn't really ask for help. Um, it took me, you know, at least a year or two of kind of experiencing symptoms of depression before I ever even entertained the idea of it. And it was a doctor that brought it up just because they handed me some random questionnaire because I was a teenager and I didn't even know what it was measuring. I thought it was just really weird that they gave it to me. And then, you know, it turns out to be a depression inventory that I scored high on. So I, I didn't ask for help. Right. And then, you know, it was kind of that pull yourself up by the bootstraps mentality that I think that I, I came with. And, um, that chip on my shoulder that I had for kind of a lot of my 
my childhood and uh, early adult years that really kept me in that mindset of not asking for help. And, you know, I think me against the, the world or us against them kind of mentality. But either way, uh, I had to switch. I had to kind of come up with a different plan. And I had taken an intro to psychology class because, you know, I, I, I would always been interested by people. I do. I've always enjoyed talking to people. I, I definitely am a very clear ambivert, which is that idea of somebody that blurs that line between extrovert and introvert. I, I, I really think that this is a concept that's being talked about more now than it used to. Um, and I, 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 which I think is fine because I think it's funny to think of things as we've talked about actually this very topic on the show before when it came to uh, like Myers-Briggs types inventories that how to not use them for proscriptive but descriptive to understand that there are um, continuums of personality traits, extroversion, introversion being one of the main ones. But either way, I liked people. I liked talking to people. I didn't really know what psychology involved. Um, that intro to psych course really gave me a feel for the fact that there were these all these different domains of psychology, all these different fields, whether it was experimental psychology, social psychology, um, you know, looking at what's called IO or industrial organizational psychology. There was these ways of kind of trying to understand systems and people. And in a way that tries to incorporate science, and I will say this, you know, there's a lot to discuss when we come to therapy. And uh, I'm going to try to demystify some of that, which is saying, you know, there, there is evidence base for a lot of therapies. Now, that, that evidence base is not going to give you a clear-cut answer the way that blood tests can, even though we know medical research and even biological research can also be impacted by bias and everything else, right? Like, it's hard to measure the things that we would want to measure in psychology. You know, we can, we can do our best to try to set up scenarios where we can compare therapies against each other. And at the end of the day, one of the things that we find is really that there's kind of these what are called common factors, uh, the things that you would think of like befriending or rapport building or being able to reflect um, these things that are kind of just generalized skill set that most therapists that I think need to have. Uh, trying to avoid using that should word because that really does set up my expectations for other therapists, but it is true. Uh, I think that there is kind of a, a lack of introspection when it comes to some of these core tenets and why I also try to talk to people a lot about the idea that therapy is not one size fits all. Uh, not everybody is going to benefit from even what we call quote unquote evidence-based medicine. And, you know, the ones that show to kind of have the best, uh, once again, the best evidence for what we have. But either way, I started to learn about this idea that there was measurement that was going on. There was these statistical processes that were set up to kind of understand maybe the human experience. And I made this switch into psychology. Even then, I still didn't know where I was going with it. I just knew that I had to pick a major. My senior year of college, I was fortunate. Uh, my college had a good association. So I went to school at a place called Brandeis University, which uh, actually one of our first real big professors was Abraham Maslow. Um, people may know it from Tuesdays with Maury, know the university because that's where it took place too. But like Maslow and the concept of the hierarchy of needs uh, was all developed kind of as part of his work at Brandeis. So I had ended up at a university that I'd 
happened to have a very good fit for for me developmentally that I just lucked into. Like <laughs> it almost feels like a planeswalker story right there. Just I happened to be at the right place at the right time, um, and it worked out. Uh, and I, I think a lot of my life comes down to that concept of I, I, I ended up in the right place at the right time, um, failing upwards, it, it, as, as the case may be. And my senior year, I was able to take part in a what we would call a practicum. So I got to work alongside doctoral students who were working at a VA hospital. So people may know I work at the VA now. I've worked at the VA for most of my career in part because it's basically socialized medicine. And if I'm looking at the best standard of care, there's a reason that there is a push for socialized medicine in the U.S. And it's funny to me when I hear people um, act like we don't know if it works or not when we do have really good evidence that it, it does. And there's a lot of developments that are used in general healthcare field that have come out of the VA. And while that's a whole other tangent based on my uh, belief system about kind of stigma and the media and um, lots of other things. That is just the fact of the matter. But I was able to kind of get an opportunity to work in, in what's called an intensive kind of uh, outpatient team. So I worked in what is actually called a mental health intensive case management, uh, which is actually a system where people, it's for people who have struggled with mental health concerns that, uh, lead to hospitalizations or lead to just frequent utilization of services and could probably benefit from a higher level of care. One of the benefits of that is care is then offered actually in the home. Um, people will, can actually meet in public. These kind of things that I would love to be able to do, which is everybody that I meet with. Um, th 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 but there is kind of within the, the world of psychology and especially clinical psychology, um, services that are kind of aimed at, at those groups of people. Uh, that experienced that level of distress. That was my first experience to kind of actual mental health work. And it was fascinating to me to see the differences between that and my own depression and anxiety that I had experienced. But I even had opportunities to view other areas of the hospital with people that were struggling with kind of depression, anxiety, and seeing, you know, maybe the judgment and the insight that was able to be impacted there to allow them to better recover or better engage in a life that they valued and was worth living versus people that I had was working with in my program that had a lot of substance use concerns, uh, high levels of, you know, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, um, kind of the, what we, it's called with the worst name ever, serious mental illness. But there really is kind of a, different level of stigma when we get into something like schizophrenia or even bipolar, but I would say schizophrenia and schizoaffective, which if, if people know at all, that's kind of my bread and butter. That's the area that I actually devoted what my training to as we're talking through this and thinking of that initial planeswalker spark. Um, I kind of devoted my life to this because I saw the stigma that was associated with it. And I think that this is a topic alone, schizophrenia, schizoaffective. We've talked a little bit about the concept of psychosis and what that actually means when we've talked about Davriel because he is kind of a stand-in for voice hearing within the magic universe. Um, but we have not done kind of a full episode that's just devoted to, to these topics, and I would like to. Uh, but for 
the purposes of this, I just want to kind of highlight that idea that the people that I was working with were were highly stigmatized. Um, the old treatment model for people with these was either long-term hospitalization, basically institutionalization, uh, or like day treatment programs, which is basically, well, you can live in society, but you need to go to these places where you won't bother anybody during the day. You can just play some games or hang out with other people, and you can do some menial tasks. And this the stigma still really exists when it comes to schizophrenia and schizoaffective disorder. Seeing that firsthand probably is my sparking moment. Um, you know, I was when I started this uh, almost 20 minutes ago, <laughs> I was thinking along the lines of my tr experiences within grad school, which did not go well. And I will come back to that someday. And it is in Andy's article, if you ever want to kind of check it out to read. Uh, but the more I think about it, that isn't really what sparked. Because if I think of a spark as kind of being something that made a, a profound impact on my life and caused me to kind of either change directions or commit. And I think commit is one of the words that we could use uh, within acceptance and commitment therapy, which has the name right there, uh, ACT, or it's kind of one of the, the third wave psychology treatments if you ever hear about it, but it's really one that's based in kind of mindfulness-based approaches and really kind of trying to have a much higher level of uh, acceptance and commitment. And the commitment part of that is committed action. It's one of the things that we talk about with acceptance is acceptance never means I'm okay with, or I don't want to change, or this is how things are. So there's no point. Um, acceptance is trying to see things as they are. And I'm going to correct my own language there. As I said, try acceptance. The goal of it is to see things as, it, as they truly are without judgment, kind of a non-judgmental, mindful approach, where at least we have a higher level of awareness. And the second part of that is really living things in a value-driven life, really kind of actually committing to what you are doing with a purpose and with meaning. And before that in my life, I'm not sure that I had it. Before this kind of rotation, I was entering my senior year. I was kind of thinking about potentially going to grad school, but I really didn't know. This class gave me that opportunity to actually take something that I had seen in a textbook and see just how that might look in the real world and where, where people live and to see kind of the stigma and to see the experiences of, of humans that kind of have been told that they like life is basically over, which is a message that a lot of the people that I have worked with, especially older um, people with schizophrenia, were told uh, you'll never work again. You'll, you know, you have this lifelong disease, this illness, your best hope is to manage it. But to do that, you need to not, have stress in your life. I mean, you, th these are messages that we're not far removed from people getting. And I'm, I'm even going to say people still get some of these. I do think we've have had improvements, but it's, it's not gone. And as I'm thinking about this, this almost turns into kind of my sparking moment. Uh, me sitting in a group that I got to go observe where people's concerns were, you know, things that I myself run into my daily concerns. And I don't, this is not to minimize any of those. I, I would say I never try to minimize. <laughs> I never, well, <laughs> there I go again, um, using that try language, but I don't like to minimize my own experiences. Uh, they are valid. And I also think that there was a difference in quality in the real world 
experiences between people that I sat in a group with whose concerns were more related to kind of um, crisis of like narrative about themselves, but still had kind of the ability to have shelter, have housing, have those kind of lower needs of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And it's kind of interesting. This is where I think there is a lot of differences in, in therapy that we need to be aware of that, you know, there, there are therapies that are much better suited for people maybe that are at higher levels on the hierarchy versus people who just can't make ends meet or don't have resources available to them. And to treat those things as if they're the same is kind of naive. So it's not to invalidate any of those. But my sparking moment was kind of realizing that I was fortunate enough to be working alongside people who were kind of living with stigma. Uh, actually, the facility I was working at was one of the first to really push forward this concept of the recovery model for people with SMI. Once again, that happy confluence or just kind of synchronicity of my luck of, of failing upwards, um, being in the right place at the right time, because I was able to see kind of where that movement was going. And it really was at that point where I kind of made a, a committed decision to what I was going to do after I graduated. Once again, not having kind of any background, uh, having not <laughs> knowing the resources, I also made a decision to start asking for help. I mean, I think this would be kind of a clear indication of the of the first time at that point in my life that I was willing to kind of commit to something in such a way that I sought out the information that, you know, I, I, I had just blindly tried to go forward and ahead and keep hoping that everything would work out in my life. doesn't mean that things worked out. Uh, I mean, th this is kind of a spoiler alert. And like I said, go back to Andy's article. Uh, I didn't get in till the third time I applied to graduate school. Uh, I still was kind of finding out how to refine what my goals were for even being a clinical psychologist, because once again, there's lots of different ways that I could have approached this goal. And the one that I was working towards, I kept getting more and more experience along the way, but I was still struggling. Uh, I mean, and that's, that's the point here. I think the point of how I sparked is not the end point or even the trauma that I experienced in grad school of being told, I don't think you'll ever be a psychologist. I don't think you'll ever get a degree by one of the heads of our program. Initially, that's where I thought this story was going. When I started talking to you all, thinking of my own narrative, that was really what I was thinking. It's like, wow, God, just like I always kind of am worried about or complain about, my own is going to be me focusing on what went wrong and almost the moment that I did. I guess it was a moment of committal, and so we could look at it from that perspective, and this could be a matter of changing planes at that point. Uh, I finally leave uh, Dominaria for the first time. I don't know. Uh, because I did commit at that point, but my, my stubborn nature helped me out at that point in my life by basically saying F you in my head to the, the person who told me this, but as we've been talking, um, it struck me that this decision that I made really was an example of me sparking. And, and I think that committal piece to it, that committed action, that deciding that I had a value system that was worth pursuing and refining and learning what it was to actually examine it and say, this is what I want to do. Uh, I'm going to choose a pathway. I'm staring at a goblin guide play mat right now uh, that is 
is <laughs> it's kind of just funny to me as I'm looking down. It's got the Philip Berberin art on it. Um, the guide has the map in the hand. There's a, a, a rope bridge that looks completely unsturdy and unsafe spanning a chasm. And it's kind of one of the ways that I describe this concept of either values or this concept of kind of vision. And it is this idea that it's not about an endpoint. It's about a direction that you want to head in. And choosing to cross this bridge, even though it looks dangerous, uh, even though there may be pain, even though it's not safe, it's making a decision or a commitment to do it instead of turning back. The goblin that is standing here has the moment to turn aside. You know, I kind of think about this with the speech that Sam gives in Lord of the Rings to Frodo about all the great stories people had a, a chance to turn turn around or people had a chance to give up or to, to give up the quest to, to not follow through. And to me, I guess that is a clear indication of sparking. If we're talking about those Planeswalker experiences, it's, it is kind of a, you know, a, an intense emotional state oftentimes is what triggers it within magic. Even though there's this, you know, the idea that it's probably late and it's there anyway, but that's getting too lore heavy that, it really does tie nicely into this idea of a value-driven life, that at some point you are making a commitment to head down a pathway. And it doesn't mean that you may not leave the pathway each time you kind of come to a fork or each point that the, the, the pathway gets difficult. You have decisions to make. You have choice points to make, whether you want to head towards or away from your value system. And that moment for me, I guess, truly was kind of this, this class. And in some ways it was even, I can like, I can still picture as poor as my memory is that I joke around about a lot. I remember sitting in a room, hearing some stories from other people that made me realize this is not the same experience of what I'm seeing on a day-to-day -day basis. I am seeing people that, you know, uh, society has kind of given up on i don't know you can, I, and like this like i said this is always the hard part when talking about what drove you to a, a career path or even within psychology like it just didn't feel like it was the right space for me i i just felt like there was a group of people that i better equipped and that i i connect better with that also have had horrible stigma experiences and i've seen a lot of those firsthand i've seen working at a group home that was attempting to move into a, uh, a residential neighborhood where the, the residents of the neighborhood literally went to a city council meeting to block it. Um, I've seen, I wrote my undergrad thesis on representations of mental health in films and in TV. Uh, and that was looking at stuff from the eighties. And I will tell you based on my results from then that it's not like we've greatly changed in the respect to mental health. And, uh, it, I do it because I love it. And I also, because it, I don't know, it, it, it keeps me on my own pathway with my own mental health journey, like separate from my career trajectory. And you can have more than one value system here or more than one value that we are prioritizing or working on. Uh, my own mental health journey is one that it, being able to talk about these concepts with you all on this show, being able to do my job every day, I do think is one of the things that's helped keep me as best as I can um, from sparking away from this plane. So, yeah. So, Dan, I, I swole Dan. You know, one of my longest friends on Twitter is we're in this period of flux with that app. Uh, thank you for kind of setting me up to get, get this out today. And 
we're going to be back in um, next week. Uh, hopefully, it's just going to be a fun topic on goblins. And we have some guests that we are lining up. We're, we're getting back on track, riding the ship, uh, so to speak. And I'm just going to end now before I start completely just rambling. And that's our show for today. You can find both of the hosts on Twitter. Hobbs can be found at HobbsQ. And Alex can be found at Mel underscore Chronicler. Feel free to send us any questions, comments, thoughts, hopes, and dreams to GoblinLorePod on Twitter or email us at GoblinLorePodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to support your friendly neighborhood gobslugs, to our link tree on our Twitter account and list it in our show notes. This has everything from our discounts for the Grinding Coffee Company to our Patreon. The music for today's show was by Vindergotten, who can be found at Vindergotten at BadCamp.com. The art was done by Stephen Raphael, who can be found at Steve Raffle on Twitter. Goblin Lore is proud to be presented by Hipsters of the Coast as part of their growing Vorthos content. Check them out on Twitter at HipstersMTG or online at HipstersOfTheCoast.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers. <laughs> <laughs>